Ladies and gentlemen, how do? Welcome to Grand Bag's Funeral, a podcast so thick it thought QAnon was a secret entrance to the Norwich Pool Club. Each show, we talk about movies and or books that are somehow linked in one way or another. In our last show, we finished on the horror western Bone Tomahawk. Our link in the Grand Bags chain from that event is Kurt Russell. We'll start with a Kurt Russell movie, but before we start talking about that, let's introduce the team. I'm your host, Simon, and in Norway, the Lord of the Fjords, John Harmon. Say hi, John. Hello. Hello from the Fjord. And in the Greenbelt, the Bard of Beckenham, Matt Riches. And Weckenham from Beckenham. <laughs> Terrible. So, how are you guys? Not bad, not bad. Good, good. What's the, what's the temp in Norway at the moment? It's, it's actually not bad. It's about 10 degrees. Oh, fuck me. That's all right. Jesus. It's probably about the same as England, yeah. Currently, here in the UK, we are in a lockdown. What's going on in Norway? We're kind of... I mean, the the main parts of Norway are in a lockdown. Uh, right. But where I, where I am, it's business as usual. Although, I do have to wear a face mask a bit more frequently now. That's that's a kind of sens- sensible approach, isn't it? If you live in the middle of nowhere, you shouldn't really be locked down as long as you take, you know, take sensible measures. We've not been trusted with that in this country, which is kind which is kind of strange because we've gone from a complete laissez-faire attitude to it to now you can't do anything. Yet all these things which we've been told that only like things of like heightened importance will stay open i was walking through town today the fucking dry cleaners was open and it's a sunday our local bike shop is open but very important probably is sensible from an exercise point of view but even so i mean fuck i can't get a haircut for love nor money anyway <laughs> so matt is as bald as a cue ball the telly of alice of beckenham right so could you get a polish somewhere, Matt? Maybe, yeah, but I suppose I can just go to the DIY store for that. Right, so we are, well, we decided um, after Bone Tomahawk that we were going to use Kurt Russell and probably that would help us head into John Carpenter territory, and we've done that. Um, but instead of um, going for the more obvious of the thing, we've decided to take a look at Big Trouble in Little China, or revisit, should I say. John, you tell us a bit about Big Trouble in Little China. So th- this this was uh, sort of Carpenter trying around that time. He wanted to do a big studio pick, and it was actually written as a Western, uh, funnily enough, uh, by the writers. And he hated the script, so he he got in uh, uh, W. D. Richter, who who wrote Buckaroo Banzai. Uh, and it, it's interesting because I think you can see the commonality between between the two as well. They wanted to rush it into production and have this sort of Chinese mysticism because uh, The Golden Child was being done by a rival studio with Eddie Murphy. Mm-hmm. And ironically, uh, Carpenter was also asked to direct that and turned it down. So <laughs> he, he ended up coming out with this kind of rival film at the time. And it was it was supposed to be his kind of big studio break but it never never really happened much like every time he tried to achieve a big studio break really yeah i mean every time he tries to do that it kind of it it seems to be that he kind of hits the mark at the wrong time so this came out at the same time as aliens and uh, aliens kind of took all the box office and I, i think people have kind of come back to it later on but there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of stuff that he was trying to do in it, uh, which the studio didn't get at the time. Like he he wanted 
the the Kurt Russell character to be a sidekick that didn't realize he was a sidekick, and I, it, 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 it's kind of it, it's a sidekick who thinks he's a leading man, and 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 when you look at the film, that's very much true, but the studio didn't pitch it that way. So. Mm, right? Yeah, it's interesting what you say that it was a it was a western. I was I was reading about that, and then sort of then adapted into like sort of present day martial arts flick by Richter. And it's also interesting when you're talking about this opening uh, similar time to Aliens. Well, it was the thing opened a similar time to Alien, was it not? Of course, you know, and 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 uh, uh, and that that was that was knocked to the side as well. Again, becoming, you know, a a firm favourite and a cult movie, much like this. Very different film, obviously. Dare you call him Cursed Russell? No, but it's not really Russell that's been cursed, is it? It's it's Carpenter. Carpenters always seem to be cursed, don't they? It's very it's very very funny when you're talking about um, casting a sidekick who thinks he's a leading man, and it, it's I think it's his performance which is the glue of the whole thing because it's a batshit mental film. I mean, you know, it's absolutely crackers. There's far too much happening in it for the the you know for the amount of screen time. Russell's character, his acting in it is so funny, like a, a kind of lethargic yet sort of conspiracy theory John Wayne walking around. I mean, it's, it's, it's such... A- I, I wondered, because this was the year before Evil Dead 2 came out, and it's, mm. it's like the, the Ash character in Evil Dead 2 seemed to take a much more Jack Burton <laughs> approach than, yeah. than he did in, in the first Evil Dead, and I wondered whether there was some kind of synergy there, because that... that I, I think this was the first time you got that kind of smart talking idiot kind of who thinks he's a lead. And, and obviously uh, Carpenter did it again a bit with They Live as well with, with Rowdy Roddy Piper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was trying to work out when I was watching this last night, is Kurt Russell shit? Oh, no, he's wonderful. No, no, he's, he's really good. And obviously he was, he was amazing in um, Bone Tomahawk. But he's just sort of watching it going, is he working with this batshit mental script? And doing his best, or is it? Is it the character? Is it? I, I, yeah, I was a bit confused. And I think I came down on the side that he is just playing it really well. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 so weird, uh, you know, this sort of martial arts extravaganza, and then in meets like the trailer trash Indiana Jones. It's hysterical. It is funny you should say Indiana Jones. That that does crop up in some of my um, my notes that I was taking as I was writing this. Well, oh, Matt, okay, so so Matt is a researcher, and um, not only that, he's a poet. Um, probably a better poet than he is a researcher, but he, um, what he does is basically transcribe the internal monologue that's going on in his head when he watches these films, and um, it's generally thoroughly entertaining, generally thoroughly. So, uh, Matt, give us your view on Big Trouble in Little China. Okay, so these are these these are fresh because I watched the film again last night, so. Uh... Um, here we go. You people sit tight, hold the fort, and keep the home fires burning. And if we're not back by dawn, call the president. We meet Chang from the fi- the other film that we're going to discuss shortly. Here's Jack Burton. He's in a truck. <laughs> and one has sparkly hands like a shit emperor from Star Wars. The credits mention Kim Cattrall. We're going to have to do Mannequin next. No, we're fucking not. <laughs> I did that film once in 87. I'm never doing it again. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you say that now. Did that script really say it was written by Gary Oldman? Oh, they're playing cards. Like the worst version of Raiders of the Lost Ark now. Ah, here comes the bottle trick. And now, hello, lady. 
Hello, Kim. Creamy Jade? That sounds wrong. <laughs> we need to talk about Jack's knee-high boots, like some sort of camp buttons. And we're in the background. There's Big Bill Burnack, the snooker player, on the bus. <laughs> the Chinese Johnny Depp watches the driver. There's going to be a fight. Someone's been stabbed in the nuts. <laughs> Like I told my last wife, I says, honey, I never drive faster than I can see. Besides that, it's all in the reflexes. Hang on. Some of these chaps are not Chinese. Here come three geezers, big hats, electric hands, fucking nails, <coughs> garlic masher, and spanners, and potato spoons. Jack's made someone angry. Dopan! Ah, the three storms. Jack has lost his fat face shirt. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a reasonable guy, but I've just experienced some very unreasonable things. Hello, Gracie Law. Oh, she's a lawyer. What a coincidence. <laughs> Hi, it's me, Bob Butcher, the bin man. Big green everywhere. A dancing bed. Here come the storms. They've nicked the girl. Now to Wang Kong. Mr. Shen arrives. Into the secret lift. Dodgy pool area. Quality top knot on Stormy Lad. Waste of eye masks. Fighting them. Someone could really have a word. In comes the model for Hannibal. Gary Oldman again. Ah, no, it's Low Pan again. Jack's escaping. Kim's been gassed. Here comes some exposition. Crazy wheel, air ride, glowing head on rails. Low pan, he's trying to touch her up, the ghost perv. <laughs> Wang's a fighter, he's not mentioned that. Smoky sticks. Shoe knife, Wang's mate, the Major D, the Chinese Jesse Plemons, has gone into a pool. <laughs> Behind the green door, it's hard Wang. So somebody, I don't care who, tell me what is going on. The truth? I can take it. We don't know. <laughs> Eyeballs. Oh, it looks like Chewback has been moonlighting with Chunk's love child. Dirty Harry. <laughs> don't know why I put that. Oh, yes, it's the Dirty Harry tribute scene. That's ace. Play your cards right. You'll live to take... Talk about this. Odd time to discuss Bruce Forsyth. There's a fireman's pole. Swords. Oh, the six demon bags. Terrific. A six demon bag. Sensational. What's in it, Egg? Wind, fire, all that kind of thing. Here's to the Army and Navy and the battles they have won. Here's to America's colors, the colors that never run. May the wings of liberty never lose a feather. How much were you drinking last night? Not that much. Um, there's a wedding in a mad nightclub down the sexcalator. <laughs> Chewie's love child equals the best man. Shots all round. The needle of love. Wang and Stormy fight. Maybe Chinese good luck as they wave each fingers at each other, but everyone's finger looks like John Rand swearing. <coughs> Waving fingers. Jack's lippy smudged. Opan in the head. Mm. There's an egg on the bong. <laughs> Wookie jizz result. <laughs> there you go. That's it. That's as far as I got. Feel pretty good. <laughs> I'm not, uh, not scared at all. I just feel kind of... I feel kind of invincible. <laughs> me too. I got a very positive attitude about this. Good, me too. Yeah. <laughs> Is it getting hot in here or is it just me?
Very good. Thank you very much. I'd just like to go back to the um, the sesquilier or whatever it was. Sex escalator. They're going down into the the crazy. I remember. So what was what I thought was so funny about that when I rewatched it this week. You know how sort of like Lopan looks like he's sort of floating around every now and then, and he's on a travelator or whatever, and it's just like, and then or an escalator, and then it's all the shot pulls out. I was like, oh, he's actually on one. It's ridiculous. It's just like, yeah, I just got this, just got this put in for it save my legs. Well, he is seven billion and two or something, isn't he? So, this is true. Yeah, yeah. So, what did you think? I fucking loved it. Yeah, yeah. Did you? I mean, when was the when was the first time you saw that? Do you think the first and only time would have been? I don't know. Not long after it came out, eighty seven, eighty eight, probably. Yeah. From a vi- from a video shop, you'll tell me which one I got it from. Because well, I don't sure I don't think I watched this with you. I think I watched this with Jarman. Yeah, I seem to remember us watching this on video at mine. Yeah, and being a bit being a bit confused by it. I think we it was a period when we watched quite a lot of them. I remember I got Escape from New York. We watched that at yours as well. Yeah, I was, it was it was great to see it again. I mean, it is it is absolutely mental. Um, the sadness, of course, is that they're talking about doing either a remake or a sequel with Dwayne Johnson. Ugh. Bit heartbreaking, I know, I know. But hey, you never, you never know. Chewing Child is at the end there on the back of the truck. <laughs> For me, that story was never adequately wrapped up. There's, there's, there's a lot of stuff in that film where you, you can imagine that there's a, there's a much stronger edit somewhere where a lot yeah. of it makes a hell of a lot more sense. Um, but it's but it's quite possibly slightly more boring. Who knows? There's a, it, there's a bit when um, you know, like the sort of the ball thing that's a bit like a Yoda ball gets the knife in the head. Oh yeah. There's a, there's, there's a noise he makes that just reminded me so much of Rance. It's unreal. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, regarding the cast, who's who? Who did you enjoy watching the most? Apart from Kurt Russell, I love I love Egg Shed. I know he's only in it for a little bit, but I, I, I and he's not in a lot of things. But um, I really enjoyed him, and I I never know how I feel about Kim Cattrall. It's like sometimes she's really good, and other times she's really naff, you know. And and well, she, she's she she was very good at playing a, the kind of B movie in distress. Who's got a yeah? Who's got a bit of brains? Do you know what I mean? And like that's all that was asked of her. And I thought she did that very well. You know, lots of like high pitched, aghast at certain things, and then it's just like, oh my god, is this really happening? When she kisses this like sweaty trailer trash dude, it's like, what? I think my highlight of the whole film though is when he's got the gun. But there's two, both Kurt Russell moments. One when he like going into battle. He fires into the ceiling and it falls on his head and knocks him out. And the bit when they go towards, I think, the door or whatever, or the screen, and they go like, oh, it's hollow. And he goes, fuck it. <laughs> he just sticks his hand through it. It's hysterical. I think, I think, I think my, my favourite bit in it is the when, when he goes, Ah, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? Who? Jack Burton. Me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, who's Jack Burton? He goes like, he's me. <laughs> I think it's that tone, and it's almost like there isn't quite enough of it in the film to completely make it 
obvious maybe 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 it needed a few more lines like that to make you realize yeah no i i hear i hear when we saw it the first time i think you can see it now but at the time i don't think would it not have been more of a send-up if they'd done that yeah but but i think that would have worked in his favor a lot more you know you've got you've got the action you know there's the tongue-in-cheek and the satire and the sort of homage to like b movies and martial arts movies yeah I think I think that would have I think that would have been encapsulated a whole lot more if he'd been given you know if Kurt Russell had been given more of the sort of lethargic John Wayne BS to like kick about I think it would have been a much much better film I think you've got a you've got you've got a plot which moves so quickly so it can just get on with the action yeah you know and when when you've got moments of exposition it's like right okay that doesn't make any any fucking sense at all but who cares who cares? It's great fun. Um, and then, you know, it's like you're watching Raiden and his mates from Mortal Kombat. It's um, it's very strange. Hadouken! Yeah. <laughs> it's like, how was it received then as a film at the time? Or... It was quite a flop at the time, I think. Yeah, it was a flop. Yeah, it was It was definitely a flop. But it's since it's probably made its, made its money back on rentals, I imagine. And now it's like become a firm favourite cult classic. But at the time, it was definitely a flop. Yeah. And 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 it it was the film that made kind of uh, Carpenter not really want to do Hollywood. He wanted to go back to sort of his independent roots from then on. And and to be honest, probably a good good job that he did. He probably made better stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apart from Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Yeah, yeah. Glad we're not watching. Not glad we're not doing that one. Um. So right. So we're going to move on in the grand bags chain, and that's going to take us to Tremors. Uh, 1990 movie directed by Ron Underwood, written by Brent Maddock, S.S. Wilson, and Ron Underwood. Um, I think two of those guys also wrote Short Circuit. Yep. I think it was Maddock and Wilson. I'm not entirely sure. Um, the film stars Kevin Bacon, Fred Ward, Victor Wong, Michael Gross, and Finn Carter. Another sort of... Um, B movie, essentially a fifties B movie homage horror comedy, um, and like any movie opening with a geezer urinating off a rock face and then casually walking back to his pickup, pulling out his pants from his hungry bum guarantees quality entertainment will be forthcoming. And Tremors delivers, I think, on pretty much every level. And our link, John, is Victor Wong, who plays Walter Chang in this and had played Egg Shen in the previous in the previous film. Right. Okay. So Walter is the guy who runs the everything store, right? It's not yeah. just like it's, I think it says hardware store, but I mean it sells everything. It's got Pepsi coolers. So Walter's shop is the only shop in Perfection, a bit like the post office used to be the only shop in Worcester. Oh god, that post office was fabulous, amazing, amazing place. It's 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 a straight it's a strange little um, gaff in it. Perfection. So Perfection is it's. It's supposed to be in the Nevada desert. I think it's actually filmed in um, California. Yeah, just on the outskirts, yeah. But, you know, even when the place is, we'll talk about in a bit, it starts, like, turning to shit. I I couldn't help thinking while I was watching the movie going, like, I'd fucking love to live there. It'd be great. Just pop down down to Wang's, drink drink my beers. Red band. Yeah. It's just... It's like it's a little slice of blue collar heaven in the desert. It 
it doesn't end well for many people. This is a very, very funny movie and 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 quite scary too. Uh, it's I think it's a work. Everything this film attempts, it succeeds at. While the previous film we were talking about, Big Trouble in Little China, there's a few near misses. Do you know what I mean? Well, this one just like knocks everything. I think it's uh, it's a cracker. John, tell us a bit about Tremors. I know you're a massive fan. I think this is another film we saw together when Sky TV first invaded many council flats, but including yours, yours in Norwich. And it was it was it was a blessing because we had all these movies, which was no way we would have got hold of anywhere else apart from maybe the video shop. But even then, there was I think they had such a backup of cheap films that to put out, which which didn't wouldn't have got releases here would have got releases in the state tremors was just one of those mad surprises well i think it, it was sort of early in in the there was a trend of kind of a certain kind of 90s flick that knew it was going to have a life on on video but mm. was kind of obviously geared towards the cinema but i mean it was written by a couple of film students at the time uh who who went to an agent to get to get representation and they had they had the script for short circuit and she said she wouldn't represent anyone unless they had a second script so they said oh we've got this other script called land sharks which is what it was mm. called and she said oh this is the one that we should make and i think <clears throat> like in, in in the process short circuit got sold and then this eventually got made so two two new writers and a, a first-time director as well ron underwood who, who who went on to make city slickers next funnily enough which you can you can see yeah, totally. You, you can see the, the similarity. You can see the certain synergies of City Slickers and and, and Tremors, um, and and it was made for a very low budget. Uh, they managed to cast Kevin Bacon, who who was probably the most well known actor uh, or, or or prominent actor at the time. Where everybody else was sort of coming off theatre or, or or TV. Well, hold on, hold on. Fred Fred Ward had done Remo, Unarmed and Dangerous. Of course, I'd forgot. I'd forgotten that 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 bastion of uh, <laughs> yeah. How dare you? High art cinema, and of course, Michael <laughs> Michael Gross had just come, just finished making Family Ties. Oh yeah, Michael J. Fox thing. Yeah, so he was like this America's dad, and then goes in to be this kind of uh, bunker nut, war nut, you know. Um, oh, his character's hysterical. I mean, Kevin Bacon didn't want to do the film, and he he really thought it was the end of his career but loved making it and has spoken very highly of it ever since. But at the time, he thought, what am I doing? This is nuts. So why did he do it? Was, he'd, he'd had a bunch of flops and this came along and he quite liked the script uh, in terms of the character and thought he could do something with it. But but he really, really was reticent about doing it. And then well, I, I, was, I, imagine, I imagine he had fuck all else as well being offered to him at that point. Well, yeah, because he'd just come off the back of a couple of ponies, hadn't he? So, so you know, because even like even the golden boy of of mid to late eighties American cinema, like John Hughes, I mean, his his John Hughes movie was She's Having a Baby, right? Yeah, yeah. No, nothing, nothing good came of that. No, and 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 so I think it it, it was one of those films that just kind of came about at the right budget um, and the right kind of people, but. Everybody who who was involved with it always speaks what a wonderful thing to make and how fun it was. And oh, you can tell it just looks like so much fun. It's just it's bizarre to talk about a film <clears throat> that is, you know, essentially a horror, but like as a feel good movie. 
but I just love it, you know. And it's you're watching these people who are, you know, some people are killed in appalling ways. I mean, there's one bit which I think is quite shocking, which is a bit of a weird juxtaposition for the rest of the film. We'll talk about that in a bit. But overall, and it's just like, oh, this is this is nice. <laughs> it's bizarre. It's like these they're really good friends, isn't it? Yeah, I love I love the relationship Val and and Earl. They, even everyone in perfection, because I think there's so few people there. Everyone's in everyone's shit, for want of a better phrase. But they all seem to get on really well, apart from Melvin. <laughs> it's amazing. Melvin's amazing. <laughs> hey, pizza face. I mean, everyone's so horrible to me. <laughs> you little asswipe. You don't knock it off, you're going to be shitting this basketball. Even that's sort of quite gentle, and you know that Melvin's going to be a knob. Um, yeah, and but no one, no one really wishes him ill. I mean, there's a couple of moments of him. I did for the first half, but then you sort of warmed to him. <laughs> there's that one bit, so I just got to talk about Melvin. Is that that one bit where they, it's just, we could make a decoy. Like a, like a decoy. Hey, Melvin, you want to make a buck? Ah, I eat it. <laughs> Melvin is that he's that a classic kind of nineties douche, isn't he? In a film, <laughs> he's, he's, he's got the haircut and everything to go. Oh, no, man! Isn't the lad that plays him sort of typecast as that though for most of his career? I don't know what else he went on to do, but he's got that. He looks to me like the one who plays Rusty in Christmas Vacation. He was in his television credits include. Uh, different Strokes, Who's the Boss, Cagney and Lacey. This is later in his career, but right. um, The Wonder Years, Walker, Texas Ranger, uh, Baywatch, <laughs> Manimal. Amazing. Oh, Christ. He's, he's done them all. Way to go, dudes! His film credits include, and you'll like these. Hey, he's um he's Fred Savage's older brother in The Wonder Years. Is he, is he rusty in Christmas Vacation? No way, man. Dr. Shivago. <laughs> Stalker. Iron Eagle. Tremors, apparently. Don't know it. Tremors 3. Oh, good. Melvin Returns. Didn't even know that existed. Uh, Tremors 3. Oh, there's, there's four of them. There's seven. What? There's seven of them. I, 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 I'm, I'm about to do a Tremors marathon after this because I was like, I wonder where this And is. a TV show, right? So he's not in Christmas Vacation? No. You think he would probably make more of it? <laughs> Do you have the character's surname in this as well? He's Melvin Plug. That's his name. See what? Now, excuse excuse me for being stupid here, but like that's something these two have had to excuse quite a few times in our friendship. But uh, whose son is he? That's a good point. You never meet. Where are his Where are his parents? Or is he adopted by Wang? I don't understand. Well, given given the lineage of uh, of, of kid eighties kid TV shows, there he's, he's, pro- he's probably part of a paedophile ring. <laughs> or he's done a he's done a Corey Feldman and divorced his parents. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Melvin, where is that little shit staying? It's weird. It's weird. It's like they went on holiday and like dumped him there to get rid of him because he's. Got killer giant, giant killer worms running through the town, trying to you know pick a hole in the fact that his parentage isn't. <laughs> you know, you know, talking about the kid, you know the the girl on the 
pogo, pogo stick. So that's that's the girl from Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Oh, is it? Yeah. I suddenly realised while I was watching it this time. Is she Nancy? Mindy. Mindy, that's the yeah, So she, she, she did Tremors, then she did Jurassic Park, never never did anything again, I don't think. Oh, she actually came back in a later Tremors, Tremors 3 or 4. What's going on? Where are you guys? What's up, man? What the hell are you doing up there? Coven, shut the hell up. So just regarding, like, when we first meet Fred Ward and Kevin Bacon's characters, they're, they're busy mates from this shitheel nowhere town in the Nevada desert, which is absolutely breathtakingly beautiful scenery wise but it's it's uh yeah the the abodes aren't up to much and they're like odd job men aren't they and the thing i didn't really get about that is that that when we first see them i think they're, they're building a fence aren't they like a border fence for cattle or something like that but they're shit at it they're absolutely shit at it the posts are all wonky and the hinge that Bacon is hammering in to the top of the post. I mean, Jesus Christ, it takes about 10 twats with a hammer to actually hit the thing in the first place. And then he hits it on the wonk. Is this you being a day job? No method preparation there, my friends. You know, they should have spent a week with me here on the country estate. And I would have sorted that right out. Pathetic. But do you, do you do you wear double denim in the same way as them? No, no, I do wear a battered Carhartt jacket, much like um, Fred Ward's one, which I'm very fond of, just to, just to try and convince myself that I am out on the prairies, maybe, and not just getting covered in Middle England dross weather. I think what we also need is a prequel. We need to know how Val and Earl meet, because Earl's obviously got some years on Val. Yeah. Yeah. How do they become there's, such there's great a, friends? There's a TV show. Maybe they do it with a TV show. Do you know that, John? I, I've never seen the TV show, but it, I don't think it covers... Oh, hang on. Tremors 4 begins. This is the prequel. Yeah, but it doesn't go into there because Kevin Bacon's not in any of the others. No, he's not in any more. Fred, Fred Ward's in the second one, isn't he? And then it then it's then it's all Michael Gross, I think. Yeah. There, there, was, go, there was going to be a TV series with... Uh, Fred Ward and Kevin Bacon that was it started filming about two years ago with Bloomhouse. It never got picked up, so it, it there's, there's a pilot episode out there somewhere, but you can't find oh, it. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Like, so going, did they did they, did they get on well? Yeah, apparently, yeah, yeah, they got on really well. Oh, that's great, and Man, I, I'd love to have been on that set. It is. It, 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 there's there's so much kind of the camaraderie between the two is is, is really you know it's like a to me, it's like uh, when you say, like, what did they do? It's There's a similar camaraderie to what, what you have with DiCaprio and uh, Brad Pitt in, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, no, I, I hear. But it's kind of vibe, but it's nicer. It is nicer. Well, it's, well, it's not as one-sided, is it? You know, that's the thing. Like, one, what, you know, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, they are clearly close mates, but one is essentially a slave. <laughs> while, while this one, it's def- it definitely feels much more like an even keel. Um, there are some. There are many, many wonderful lines. If no one's, I mean, anyone who's listened to this, they've probably seen it ten times. You know what I mean? But if you haven't, please see it. And there are so many great lines. When Fred Ward finds out about him sort of making money or finding the monster and getting photos of it, he offers him like, what is it? He offers like fucking twenty bucks. So every every time he offers to pay him, and he he gets away with it. Do you know what I mean? They're just like, well, hey, we've made a couple of bucks. You know, we've done well there. We've done. We've done Chang, and it's just like you've made like ten dollars. 
Yeah. And with this, uh, like Fred Ward clicks that he's been done. He turns around and goes, "Old Chang, slick as snot, and I ain't lying." <laughs> What's really good about it as well is that when people are in peril in it, the humour, um, the humour keeps going, but it's it's it's, it's so intelligently um, toned down. So the peril is amplified. I know that sounds obvious, you know, to any film student or whatever, but that 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 friendliness of the film is still there while the peril is like coming in, and you care about them more and more, you know, as the tri- as the trials and tribulations go on. You know, you, Melvin's a pain in the ass, but none of we we don't want to see him die. Hey, pizza face, Melvin, Melvin, touch that truck and die. Man, I'm really shaking. I think if, if if you if you did a kind of almost timed analysis of it, it's like you've got you've got build up tension, release, build up tension, release, and it, it does it perfectly in the in the same way like a good comedian does that builds up tension, releases with a with a punchline, and it, it, mm. it's constantly doing that, and it, it it's a very effective because quite often these kind of hor- and I, I watched um, the second one just to see what, kind of what happened afterwards and it doesn't have that it doesn't even though it's the same writer it doesn't have it takes too long to build up whereas this kind of just does it in these fits and bursts and i think because of the chemistry of the actors but it just works perfectly that tension and release all the all the way through yeah yeah it's it's great matt you liked it i take it i loved it i, I I genuinely haven't seen this film before. I, I wasn't convinced that I had or hadn't seen Big Trouble in Little China. And about half of I was like, yes, I know I have seen this. I remember this. But with Tremors... You'd remember. You would remember. Um, my wife sort of walked out halfway through going, what are you fucking watching? I was like, this is brilliant. How are you enjoying this? And she doesn't like horror films, but this isn't a horror film, really. This is a PG-13 horror film. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I, lo- I absolutely loved it, and for those reasons that we sort of mentioned already, it's it's a buddy movie. It's feel good. Um, you're rooting for everyone. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I mean, a film that you could compare it to, and I don't mean as in the vibe of it or anything like that, but as in that kind of um, mainstream family entertainment. Trying, well, it's not mainstream, but it's you know, it's clearly aimed at a market where it could be. Um, trying to get a big market PG-13 horror is Gremlins, right? But the, but the difference between this, you go, this is so much better because, and it's not, it's not to do, it's not to do with the acting. It's, it's the writing. It's the writing and, you know, and even quite possibly the direction. Yeah. Um, although, you know, Joe Dante did Gremlins, right? Who's, you know, he's pretty fucking quality director, but I think the fact that, you care about you care about everyone in this movie so much more than you do about the people who live in that town in Gremlins. You know what I mean? It's Gremlin. Gremlins is so cynical of a movie. It's such a cynical film. And and this where you've got people uh, in a kind of sort of Rio Bravo standoff against uh, killer worms. It, this this could be a very distasteful and cynical movie very very easily and it never is it's interesting that you care about people in this more and you don't give a shit about anyone in shortcut not shortcuts um 
No, the, the, the other film that these two wrote. Um, oh, Short Circuit. 25 Alive and all that shit. They, they also wrote Batteries Not Included, which is another film I can't stand. Really? I really like that movie. I really like that. Big, well, saying, that, saying that I haven't seen it for a very long time, but again, that's very warm. You know, it's very, it's it's quite sentimental, obviously. I mean, Spielberg got involved with that as an executive producer, so it's got the Spielberg Amblin Entertainment schmaltz, but it's a very, it's a very warm and sort of life-affirming film, um, much like Tremors, which is so bizarre to say. It, 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 it's funny because it's like if Tremors was made now, and I don't mean all of the sequels, just if this was made now, it would probably make most of the characters it would be mm. cynical because it would be in an era of trumpism and therefore like the 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 those characters would all be maga wearing kind of and and it would be done with extreme cynicism whereas and michael gross's character is is kind of an nra nut but plays bizarre isn't with it? Love. i mean you do you do love that character and yeah. his crazy wife but what i like about those two is that the country star reba mcintyre is his She's a country singer, his his wife. Yeah, yeah, oh, this wow. was her first film. But she'd been a known country singer for, for some time at that point. While you were talking a minute ago, I've just, I was just looking for some things through the quotes and I've just remembered one that you mentioned the other day that I think you'll probably shit yourself now, but it's um, Walter Chang says, Earl, here's some Swiss cheese and some bullets. <laughs> I know, perfect. <laughs> yeah, we were talking, you talk about him, uh, Michael Gross's character, the uh, wife, like, the bunker nutters uh, nra nut or whatever but you're right you do care for him you care for all of them but what i think uh, you've got these two guys who open the movie the the busy mates who lead the film um even they who might come across as this kind of you know tr- this these days you're talking about making a sort of cynical version of it now as trumpist or whatever like the, the fact that they yeah. turn and know full well that that guy is a nut job. I mean, the line that Fred Ward says, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, um, you you could be killed, you could kill yourself before World War Three even happens. And it's because the dude spent his entire life like building bunkers. Well, in, in part two, he's completely depressed because the Cold War's over. Oh, brilliant. It's a, does part does part two have the humour though? It does and it doesn't. It's kind of there, and and Fred Ward is doing his best, but he not having like there's a there's a surrogate bacon uh, uh, character in there, and it doesn't quite work. But does he mention? Is, is it mentions what what has happened to Valentine? It's it just that he's left. He left perfection and got married. Oh, that, that was kind of all, all that was mentioned. And it was very circumspect. But it, it just doesn't have... There's a bit of the humour, but mm. it's not as tight mm. by any chance. I mean, it's like, I think it's just like every little nuance in the first film. It's even like the, like um, when Bert pulls up and he has that oh, oozy for you yeah, number yeah, plate, yeah. you know. <laughs> there are so many really mm. cool details like that throughout that just every aspect of it has been thought about. You can tell it, it it's uh, a cast and a crew that have put all their effort into it. It makes sense in a way that, I mean, obviously the second one, you know, it makes sense in a way that it's straight to, a straight-to-video flick without one of the co-stars of what's essentially a buddy movie to me. Yeah. It doesn't work, do you know what I mean? And the best buddy movies, there are buddies throughout it you have the lead buddies like say a movie like midnight run when you got charles grodin robert de niro i mean that that film's yeah. a masterpiece of buddy humor because everyone throughout it 
they're all pairs and they're all fight you know they're all sparking off each other you've got and you've got and you've got that with this to a certain extent even um chang and walter not sorry not walter what's his name peter face yeah so so Mel, melvin and chang are one buddy you've got michael gross and the you know the bunker couple is another buddy you've got you've just you've got that vibe that keeps that keeps you know just keeps the whole thing ticking there's not enough time for it there's not there's not enough time in the in the film there's not enough downtime for you ever to get bored or not care and essentially the, you know in this film it's the same thing and it's tight it's it's a nice tight 90 what 96 mm. minutes i think it was so it it doesn't overstay its welcome it just comes in throws you right into the mix sets up and it, it i like the fact that it doesn't try and give you a whole load of exposition about where they come from or anything like that. It's just bang straight. Quite often, a lot of creature features the first time take forever to set up the story. There is. So the, the one bit I wanted to talk about earlier that I found quite disturbing was when uh, you got the doctor and his wife who are building their house. So he gets sucked into the ground. That's pretty horrible because he goes to check out the generator and it's gone. Um, but when she's in the car and it gets sucked, that's horrible man even with it's trying to take the piss with the country music playing at the same time it's still horrible it's really dark even when they go back and find the light still shining the sky like the searchlights yeah that was quite i think it's best when you don't see the worms in many cases like like when the car goes that's more horrific in the same way and it, it, it seems to sort of take a lot from jaws in that sense of and obviously there's lots of homages to jaws in this throughout but it's that through the first half of the film where you only see like the the, the sand moving and, and that was all created by just putting a a boy uh, like a boy from from the sea underground and pulling it by a rope <laughs> <laughs> and and it was the same that same i think in jaws it always worked best when you didn't yeah. see the shark and and it's it's true here you know when when the the boards on the on the kind of porch outside Walters are just all rippling mm, up as it comes after that's them great. at one point. It, it's and I think I think when the car goes under, it is it's that horrific. It's the same as the opening of Jaws. It's like you don't see it, but you know there's something under there, and you can imagine. The other homage is that sort of the idea of the the lobbing of the oh yeah totally yeah. stick of dynamite <laughs> yeah, almost yeah. into its mouth yeah. and trying to get it. I suppose, I suppose even the way that Walter gets killed is very much yeah. like Robert Shaw getting eaten by the shark and jewel. So, Matt, Tremors, the internal monologue. Yeah, uh, okay, so, Big Kev slashing off a cliff. <laughs> Bull, Fred Ward, it's Fred Ward. <laughs> this is like the worst brokeback mountain ever. Takes skill to miss a nail that much, Kev. Oh, interesting. This is, help him, Rhonda. There's some blues harp, wobbly shale, penguin Rhonda. She's all about that seismograph. <laughs> it's off the charts. Here comes the killer gopher. <laughs> Luckily, Earl, or Fred, drives a digger. There's shit everywhere. Nancy, is she from After Hours? She's got an Edgar for heights. Don't know why. I must have heard someone called Edgar. There's some sheep racing going on and a shit scarecrow. A loopy seismo. Penguin Ronda's confused. She's broken the seismo. Broken sheep. Fred's sheep. There's a hat in sand. Fred's head, baby. Jam road. <laughs> Falling rocks. Hell, get philosophical. More jam. More hard hats. Little blonde girl. Who is she? <laughs> There's a mini thing from June. 
Ah, we always have a connection here. It's like June. The home builders. Ah, it's like poltergeist <laughs> pulling through. Uh, another connection. <laughs> my foot. Jim's foot. That's right. Two by four. Bye, Jim. Crazy snakes. Here comes the sinking car. Swiss cheese bullets. Survivalists. Melvin looks back. These horses are sick of this shit. They're lying down. Big Mama's here. Fuck you, Big Mama. Loves are forming between Bacon and the lady. They're pole vaulting. The music sounds like the Hooters. <laughs> yeah, the cavalry fucked. To the mountains. Melvin must die. Shit, a basketball. Pickaxe Ken. Changes. Rhonda's out the window. Thumbs up, Rhonda. Uzi for you. <laughs> Burton Heather. Make some noise. Big wall of guns. Such a parody scene with the elephant gun. Nesta's gone. Crazy bacon. Splash. Drain the butt. Christ, what was that? It's caterpillar time. Bert's making pipe bombs. Now they're like the A-team. Dug a trap. Melvin's got a gun. Boom, gunge. Lots of turmeric everywhere. Val's going to kill it. I don't know what that says. Fish on the floor. Tango everywhere. Hey, is he going to show her the bacon? Bring it home, the bacon. <laughs> the egg. Very good. Uh, yeah, that bit. Um, the, the sort of the climax when they all get covered. You know, everyone's happy. Everyone's happy that they've killed it. Apart from Melvin, who gets covered in all the crap. He looks proper pissed off. At the end, there was a, there was a bit where they say, there you go, Mother Humpers or something. And I thought I was watching the TV edit for a second. But apparently, they could only have one fuck to, if they wanted it to be a PG-13. They'd used it up already. Yeah, they did. But that, I, I read that they did take it out because it would have been an R. Um, yeah, yeah. So they took it out. Uh, they filmed it as motherfuckers, I think, but took it took it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's it's like the TV version of Repo Man, which I think is a better film. It's much more enjoyable. You've got people being called melon farmers as opposed to motherfuckers, which is much more interesting. Yes, melon farmers your favourite thing. I think. Oh, that's great. Flip you, melon farmer. Pardon my. Is that why all the pardon my French is then? Because there's a few scenes where she's like, pardon my French. Yeah. It's, on the melon farmers thing, there used to be a really good website in England that used to list all of the cuts on films, and it was called melonfarmers.co.uk. Oh, brilliant, brilliant! So I've got, oh yeah, I've got, um, I've got both versions of Repo Man, and when we put that on at Cinema Under the Stairs in Oxford, I chose the TV version because I just thought it was so much funnier. But it, people complained about it, and I looked like. I look like a right melon farmer. Anyway, so moving on brings us to our um, third link in the chain of today's show. And that uh, is, John, who's who's the link? So Fred Ward is the link. It would have been too obvious to use Kevin Bacon as the link because uh, he's linked to everything. So we're going to use Fred Ward um, and we're going to jump forward only a couple of years uh, to... Uh, Robert Altman's shortcuts, and uh, which Fred Ward is one character of of many. Yeah, of twenty two main characters in this ensemble. What has to be called 
I think, a masterpiece. And um, Robert Altman's done a few masterpieces. He's a very, uh, I mean, he's he's a very skillful director, especially with the expertise of an ensemble cast. And I think this is a, I think this is the zenith of a career with many highlights. I think it's, I, it's one of my favourite films. Um, based upon the writings of Raymond Carver from the collections, Will You Please Be Quiet, Please? And What We Talk About When We Talk About Love. This is one of those films of a period when independent American cinema was back in full force. We'd had Reservoir Dogs. We'd had um, Alison Anders, Hal Hartley, Altman, the sort of elder statesman of independent American cinema coming back with with a film like this it was just wonderful it was such a amazing cinematic experience where a kitchen you know what, what we call in the UK a kitchen sink drama sort of put on this gloriously huge expanse of a canvas where these characters could go anywhere in this totally believable situation where unbelievable things happened to normal people. I mean, that's what Carver was always very good at. Every, everyday lives um, sort of plodding along and then something, some, something dynamic happening which affects um, a family or an individual and will change their lives forever from anything from... Like poking a spinning top, isn't it, in some ways? Yeah. It, just, it keeps going in until it then just rattles off its axis and uh and shortcuts is just it's it's just one of those things that you know I, I, I watched it last night right I watched it last night and i was saying um off air to you two that's the fifth time i've seen the film and each time i've seen it there's been a decent gap you know between each you know between each um viewing and obviously you've changed as a person over that time and each time it's just affected me so completely differently when I first saw it, I would have still been at college. I think I was 17. I saw it at Cinema City in Norwich, bunked off to go and see it, and I was just blown away. But I was blown away by the energy of it and the excitement, obviously being hugely into movies. I was very excited to see this film. I didn't come away with any of the the melancholic sort of tragedy that's that's in it. And watching it, and I have done more and more so over the last few years while I've gone through it and revisited it. But last night it was, you know, now I'm now I'm in my mid-40s like many of these characters and I've got a family mm. like many of these characters and I have like financial responsibilities like many of these characters. It's, it was, it was a much, much harder watch. The energy is still obviously there, but it was all too real. And, um, I mean that doesn't say I liked it any less. I, you know, I still love it very much, but it's it's very interesting to to go back to a film when you've grown you've grown older, and uh, you can just maybe it's appreciating it more for what you've missed early on. It, it's also like I mean I I haven't seen it in quite a while. I'd, I'd seen it a number of t maybe two or three times in the nineties, <clears throat> and like you had 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 different. Mm -hmm responses to it then and i think now the thing that really struck me was one paul thomas anderson doesn't have a career without this film uh two two that actually you you don't see films like this anymore but you maybe do see 
TV series that go into characters like this, but you don't see films like this anymore because it, it, the pacing... Yeah, three hours, eight minutes. And it's it, it's a long film. It's technically long, it's longer than the two films that we've talked about already put together. Yeah. Obviously, the title's misleading. So so it, it's... But you never... I never felt bored with it. There was... I, I think the, the only bits that, that I struggle with in this film is sometimes just lingering on Annie Ross singing can be a bit indulgent yeah, for me. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. But what, what I liked about um, Annie Ross and Laurie Singer's part, because that was actually written by Altman, you know, those characters aren't from any of Carver's stories. They are the kind of, they are the musical bridge to all the other stories. They help link it. Um, obviously, they all link together in some way or another. The musical bridge which those two offer to soundtrack um the other the other stories i think it's really important i don't think <clears throat> i don't think these stories which first of all they're all set in the nor northwest of the states originally carver's story washington state i believe um or portland maybe that that couldn't work in that setting and those and i don't think the stories um without them being linked by more than what altman's done with the screenplay linking the stories together but without that music i don't think it works i think it's really important i love the fact it's all the west coast easy vibe jazz as well it's to go and chat together but that but that west coast jazz which is so different to um the modern jazz of the east coast um like the hard bop and um the blue note stuff that came out of new york on the west coast it's much more relaxed just like the place it's much more chilled out and you know, jazz players like jimmy jufri stuff like that it's it's much sort of easier cool vibe you know and that's the sound you know that soundtrack to the film like whether it's um someone playing vibes or a bit of bit of very slow sax in intermingling with like white picket fences and bougainvillea i mean it's just la personified the film big time it's interesting though that you've got that sort of chilled out slightly calmer calmer's not the right word but soundtrack when there's all of that the tension is on the screen oh yeah yeah it's very interesting i don't it's but pure, pure tension all the way through you just think this could fall apart or explode at any moment oh, there you go that's it that is that is los angeles no, that is Los Angeles personified. You've got this huge, sprawling, impossible city on the coast, um, made of concrete on a fault line that could be destroyed at any moment. Which, in and in one way, in one way, is viewed as like a hang loose dude, chill out surfer, and you know, valley dropout kind of stoner place. And on the other. It's an extremely dangerous, tension-riddled, violent city, and then, and then, and then you plonk, you know, ten families in that. <clears throat> and what Altman said in the, in the documentary, um, "Luck, Trust, and Ketchup," you take the roof off each of those houses and you just poke your head in and have a look. I think it's fascinating. I think um, my main issue with Annie Ross is I've never gotten over. Her in Superman three as a <laughs> robot, and, and she she scared me so much as a kid in that film that even now when I see her in shortcuts, I can't quite quite get over it. <laughs> so, John, do you remember when you first saw Shortcuts? 
Yeah, I, I, John, I'm, I was just trying to remember. Did I see it at Cinema City with you or something no, else? I, but I definitely saw, I saw it. it. I saw it when it came mm, out. I, did, I, I definitely didn't see it with you. I saw it with a chap who was on my course, um, chap called Pete, who I haven't seen for years. I would have. It would have been great to see it with you, but I didn't, unfortunately. No, I, I think. I think um, if I had a friend who was obsessed with Raymond Carver. Okay. And uh, they said, let's go and see. And, and, and I, I was a fan of, I think I was just getting to know Altman's work around this time when I was yeah, probably about 16, 17. Yeah. I can remember being blown away by it because I hadn't seen a film like that re- really before, I don't think. Uh, and this emergence of new cinema that was very character driven. And I think, you know, we were just coming off the back end of the kind of 80s blockbuster and so forth. Yeah. So it was yeah, really yeah. nice. And see something that that took a totally different turn. It, Altman had obviously established all of this in the seventies. Yeah, this kind of work, but but that that had kind of we weren't old enough to be kind of film literate in his earlier. Well, work that's right. Point, we we wouldn't we weren't privy to it at the time. First of all, no. so we weren't aware that this is actually what he does best or better than anyone. You know, we we would have seen Mash, which was great, but you know, very different to this, but we wouldn't have seen Nashville, for example, you know, we would have seen McCabe and Mrs. Miller, but, you know, those ensemble pieces, until the player, really, but that is essentially still, um, still has a lead, while this film doesn't at all, it very, it's a total ensemble. It was really interesting, I, I watched it with a friend over here who'd, ne- who'd never heard of it or, or never seen it, and we're watching it, and there's a point that the, the, the Jack Lemon kind of monologue when he's talking about how how he walked or how his wife walked in on him having an affair and my friend said do you think brian cranston studied this when he did walter white because it's almost the delivery and everything is almost verbatim and i suddenly saw it and i as i then watched the rest of that monologue i was like my god yeah that the 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 weak man trying to justify why he did something and it suddenly just came really palpably alive again and i i think i'd always liked that clever in shortcuts but i couldn't appreciate the story that he was telling until much later in life yeah it's interesting to say the weak man in that because there's so many weak men absent fathers even if they're actually there sort of slightly just shit dads running through this film it's there are loads of other themes running through it but that's one of the things i was writing down as i was watching it was yeah just the dads are crap in this and men are rubbish most of them no 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 i certainly wouldn't pick it up at the time but and it's so it's repaid instantly it's really second watching because this is only the second time i've seen it but um and the first would have been a bit more contemporary around about that time. I think it was Jenny Frew made me watch it because she was into all that sort of Hal Hartley and all that sort of stuff. It was a very exciting time in American independent cinema. It was great. It was like it was it was the rejuvenation period which got so many people our age back into movies. I mean, John and I were obviously, as you know, Matt, already bitten and completely obsessed, but we were this this rejuvenation of cinema i mean how hartley being one then soderberg um alison anders as i said with gas food and lodging 
you just had this huge new new wave if you will of, and then to have this um great who'd done it the first time round uh come back in in the midst of all that and do something as accomplished as this at that stage in his career it's incredible it's unheard of really i mean you can talk about you know other great directors from the 70s such as scorsese doing similar things but i don't think even scorsese has i mean maybe in maybe in the 80s and 90s with um goodfellas and casino but not to the peak of what he will be remembered for it such as taxi driver N not many directors are able to bring back their a game that in that late stage of their career what altman did with shortcuts i mean i mean essentially essentially altman i mean he didn't reinvent himself because he was doing what he knew how to, what to do but this gave him a whole new second win i mean his which just he wouldn't have had the work up until when he died if it wasn't for this film no way had he done popeye before or after before this? before but but it, but it makes sense like you're saying he comes back and it's almost like he's gone back to what well, he'd obviously he'd obviously tested you know he tested the waters very well with the player but this mm. is like you know it's a whole whole other ball game and and he he, he had had this in development for quite some that's time that's right he'd had the script since 88 89 long maybe. before the player definitely yeah 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 um, i think the player gave him gave him the ability to get this yeah, made I yeah guess. yeah 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 um what we're missing is that we, we haven't talked about uh, the fact that um, head honcho from popular beat combo, Huey Lewis in the news, you see his dick in it. We haven't talked about that. Well, I was sort of hoping we wouldn't, but... Well, I'm, I'm sure in your internal monologue you mentioned Huey Lewis's dick. And I just want to say, like in the making of, um, which is the documentary, Luck, Trust and Ketchup, I think the, the funniest line... Is when Altman, instead of saying action, shouts, stop pissing. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting that both Tremors and Shortcuts have, have these big pissing scenes. In yeah, them. yeah, yeah. You can't beat a piss, that's for sure. I mean, I've, I've already just been for one. This is, I, I always break the, the show in two. It's like BP and AP. So we're in AP now. So we'll try and... Uh, We'll try and crack on through shortcuts for you. So we haven't talked about who's fucking in it, which is insane because the cast list is incredible. It's an amazing cast list. I mean, this was one of the one of the first films that Julianne Moore uh, appeared in. Uh, I know she maybe did a few bit parts before this, but this was the one that kind of got her on the radar, and he he very much discovered her uh, in theatre. Right, she's brilliant in it, and and it, it was really weird to because I hadn't seen this for so long, see her look so different in this. Actually, it, it, even like when you, I, I recently went back to Boogie, uh, Boogie Nights, and and she looks a lot older in Boogie Nights than she does here, and there's only a few years in between those yeah two. she does but, look um, very very young i think one of the nicest relationships in that film is between old time you can imagine an old time sort of bohemian la hippie family but with a bit of dough yeah that has two daughters one of which marries a cop madeline stowe the other one becomes an artist and marries a doctor their relationship's brilliant totally believable when they're cracking up hiding weed from the kids having a beer talking about Husbands shagging around, them shagging around. Madeline Stowe, I think, is 
amazing in this, really underrated. Exactly. And I, I started wondering, like, whatever happened to Madeleine Stowe? Yeah, it's, uh, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, she's a very naturalistic actor. Yeah, yeah. And she was really sort of on her game through a few years around this time and then just seemed to disappear. Yeah, I want to... She did 12 months. She did 12 Monkeys, yeah. Um, Prior to that, she was in, or around the same time, she did the Tony Scott movie Revenge of Kevin Costner. She went in a TV, you know, she did this thing, a TV series called Revenge, which I think was big in the States. I've I've come across it and it looks absolutely appalling. And she's also had a hell of a lot of work and it's very upsetting. Right. So, um, yeah, she's... She did that, you know. I think she's heavily involved with democratic politics in one way or another, um, or used to be. Right. And she used to be, I think, her her partner, I don't know if they're married, her partner. Do you remember Dream On, that show? Rings a bell. The, um, I, think he's a, I think he's a, it's like a musical, sta- musical and stand-up comedian. Very funny Channel right. 4 show. That's her partner. Anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there. Other great cast members, you've got Robert Downey Jr., who's brilliant because essentially I think he's playing himself. Well, this is, this is at the start of his, like, I think nine, he always says like 92, 93 was the start of his deep dive into kind of crack and <laughs> all sorts. Is he playing himself and is this, was he high while he was making this film? Cause... I'm not really, I'm, but I'm not really talking about the drug bits. The drug bits are fine. That's all gravy with me. I love the fact that, you know, that the depiction of, so many different classes of Los Angeles society in this film smoking weed, you know, it's, mm. and it, and, and it's very much like, it's very much like that in LA, you know, and it's, it's, it's as expected as drinking iced tea. All of the characters are numbing themselves in some yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he is a, this character is a sociopath who is using everyone around him, but in a, in a passive aggressive manner, he's, you re watch it and just watch his part. He's a he's a wanker. He's a total wanker. He can he he can see he can see his friend imploding and he doesn't do anything about it. He sort of sits back and watches it. Well, effectively leads him further astray. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This made me kind of definitely think like what a loss in Chris Penn dying so young because oh, he's brilliant. He's amazing yeah, in he's this. Brilliant. Yeah, and and I feel like like. I do feel yes, we've we've got him in a couple of things in the nineties, but it feels like we never really like there's somebody who who should have done more. Oh yeah, but I mean, you know, we would, you know, I was just talking about this kind of period of the rejuvenation of American independent cinema. I mean, he was a poster boy of that, really. If you think about the films that he was in and that we went and saw, you know, he did Reservoir Dogs. He's in True Romance, obviously. He's in this. I mean. There's some incredible credits. No, no, it, it, it was just, I suppose, it was watching him in this and thinking, God, it would be so nice to have seen him like 10 years, 20 years later. Yeah. As well, playing a, a more... Because cause the acting just with his eyes, I mean, it, it's all in the eyes with this. He barely says anything. Yeah, and you're, you're waiting for him to kick off. It's terrifying. And the fact that it takes so long to come. Yeah. You sort of... It- to kick off when they're in the jazz club they've been having their night out with Bill and his um, I can't remember his wife's name in that but they're in there and someone's chatting up his Jennifer Jason Lee and he sort of comes back and he's a bit confused but you sort of expected him to go ape shit there where he finds the money on the table but doesn't yeah that bit's that bit's heartbreaking because he's you know 
Jennifer Jason Lee's basically been offered 200 bucks to go outside, give this guy who's just got out of prison a blowjob, and she's telling him to fuck off or whatever. Well, that's what it appears to us, right, at the time. Her and her friend are telling this douchebag where to go. Um, Big Bear Jerry comes back to the table after smoking a doobie outside with Downey Jr., looks at the 200 bucks. They're taken out of his hand by said con and and he's like hey what's going on here whatever and then jennifer jason lee gives him shit we could have really done with that money it's like what you know this guy this guy is on a road to absolute destruction and no one around him can see it it's horrible no and you're right about your observation of downey jr there as well because i i was watching a david letterman interview with him the other day and i thought everybody's really sort of like in awe of Robert Downey Jr., but he seems an utter arsehole. <laughs> like everyone sort of says how amazing he is as a sort of Iron Man and stuff, but he, there's something really snark. He's a snide. Yeah. 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 And it, it, it's in this film, but you like, I started kind of ref- like, he could be really charming and funny in some films for sure. But, but his, his inner truth seems to be very much this yeah. character. Kiss, kiss, bang, that's the one. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. I think is the film where I'm thinking that he was actually really good and believable, and you sort of. Oh, that's a wonderful. Yeah, yeah. He's brilliant, isn't he? In that, he's brilliant. But other than that, I can't think of many other. Oh, no, things I mean, I've seen, that... I've seen him in plenty of things. I think he's brilliant, but like he's very, very good at playing snidey fuckers. Do you know what I mean? Even t- even Tony Stark's a snidey fucker. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> No, exactly, and it, it, it's the it's the same with Tim Robbins in that in this. There's something, yeah. There's something of I don't know, like a like a sort of slightly smarmy arrogance. Yeah, I'm getting away with it, arrogance. But you can see Robbins is having an absolute fucking ball with this oh, yeah. one. So Tim Robbins plays Madeline Stowe's um, husband, who's a patrolman for the LAPD, who is having an affair. That affair is with Francis McDermott, who is the ex-lover of Stormy Weathers, played by Peter Gallagher. Peter Gallagher is one of the pilots who's spraying the medfly over L.A. County. The medfly has caused an infestation and there's worry about that it's causing cancer and so on and so forth. And then you have the newsreader, played by Bruce Davison. This is his best work since ALF. He's, he's the newsreader doing an editorial on the Medfly. Um, his wife, is, um, Anne, is played by Andy McDowell, someone I had a huge crush on when I was young. Unbelievable. I, I, rem- I remember God, it. God, I was obsessed with her. Anyway. Um, and he used to go on about this girl who looked like Andy McDowell. Oh, she was lovely too. God, she was lovely as well. Anyway, I'm kind of over that now, I think. And then... Um, they have a child called Casey. Uh, Casey is walking to school one day and he is hit by a car. And the car is driven by a waitress who is the mother of Robert Downey Jr.'s wife or girlfriend. Wife, I think. And, yeah. wife. And, and the lover of Tom Waits's character, who is a limousine driver and an alcoholic. Although I think she may well be an alcoholic too, but everything is thrown at his character to put her more in the clear. She's also... And holding down a job, isn't she? Whereas Earl's... Yeah. 
Yeah. So she and she's a, she's a waitress, and when she's waitressing, in come three fishermen, played by Fred Ward, our link, Huey Lewis, and his penis, and Buck Henry, who's the screenwriter of The Graduate, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and Catch Twenty Two. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, he adapted the book by Charles Webb of The Graduate and a book by Joseph Heller of Catch Twenty Two into screenplays both for Mike Nichols, the director. So there they are, those three, and um, they're about to go on a fishing trip. Off they go on their fishing trip. And um, I've essentially realised what I'm doing right now is Matt's job. So I'm going to hand it over to Matt. What, do you want the... Um, the eternal monologue. The shipping forecast of... Okay, all right, well, buckle up, motherfuckers, because... It's a long one, is it? Pages of this. Okay. I will, I will, try, I will try and... Screw jump through and bear in mind that i think as we discussed before this it's sometimes harder to make sense when you're enjoying the film and really like it but so i'll try and say again i'll try and um skip through some of this but some of this is sort of observations rather than taking the piss but uh, yeah okay well if 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 it it doesn't work as entertainment we'll cut you short after the first 25 minutes There's a fine line to be crossed. We're in quarantine. It's eerie. There's medflies. It looks like he's showing us everybody in the film in bits by in bit by bit. Ooh, someone's got a new graphics package for the credits. That's Robert Downey Jr. Crikey. Wait, love it, and Lewis. Are they lawyers or musicians? This is timely as fuck. This film. The quarantine, the lockdowns. Ooh, interesting. Here's Zoe. She's fingering her cello. (laughs) Modine and Fred Ward. Modine appears to be playing someone grumpy. That's unusual. (laughs) Chris Penn. He's cool. He's near a pool. His wife's doing sex lines while making dinner. The helicopters still guide us round. There's Waits. There's Tomlin. There's... I wrote Shelley Lane, but it's not, is it, at all? It's, um... Annie Ross. They're in a jazz club. There's some house-sitters. Ah, some black people. Finally. Ah. What, in LA? I know. <laughs> now, that is, I mean, it is a horrendously white film. Yeah. No, the, the white only, cuts. The only real main characters where did we get to ah tim robbins um ah zoe's fingering again <coughs> ah now we're joined by andy is it raining mcdowell and oh that's just mean there's peter she's a fine underrated actress and she's great in this and i won't have words against her oh i'll try and edit the rest of that out then uh ah the mcdormen <laughs> ass scratch Stuart's going yeah. McDormand and Tim Robbins. This is not going so well for Tim. <sighs> Angry Tim Robbins. Mullet child. The fishing arseholes. Butter. Someone comes in chewing a big cigar. The sisters. Yep, 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 dog. Dog in a box. There's a kid running. Looks like a Furby in his right hand. And boom, the kid is done. Casey's fucked. There's a clown in the cake shop. 
Casey's fucked, isn't he? They're driving to the desert to fish, morons. Fruit plates. It's okay, here's Andy McDowell. She won't notice if anything bad goes wrong. Casey's double fucked. There's milk spilled. Let's not cry. Bit heavy-handed there, Robert. Ah, Tom Wright's kicked out. Put on a piano. And it's put a Tom put Tom Waits with a piano underneath what he's saying now, and this could be one of his songs. I'm gonna get drunk right now. There's a young lad, McDormand's son. Who is he? I recognise him. She don't like Peter. Tim Robbins cuts the dog loose. Casey still fucked. Modine at work. Danny Jr. is a makeup artist. Tim pulls over the clown, the fucking clown car. Down the <laughs> stuff to Chris Penn. Daryl Hannah, who's not Daryl Hannah at all, um, but he's actually Laurie, Laurie Singer. Strips and jumps in a pool. There's some whispering. Ah, Huey Lewis's cock is out. That's news. <laughs> <laughs> There's a dead body. Now it really is news. The bastards. Still, have a drink. Don't lose the fishing line. The sisters are united by Skippy. Julianne Moore. Q-tips and aftershave. Don't know why I wrote that down. Modine and Moore. Ah, oh, it's art versus science. The old art versus science approach, is it, Robert? Well done. Uh, Robbins accidentally stabs McDormand's lip with a toothpick. <laughs> oh, yeah, the snog. <laughs> uh, someone is about to get angry. You've got to uh, love it. Ah, oh, yes, the cake man is about to get angry. Um, Robbins, the gaslighting motherfucker. Casey still fucked. Um, Bill's a twat. Huey's caught a fish. Newsflash, newsfish. Huey Lewis and the newsfish. <laughs> Daryl Hannah celloing or fingering. <laughs> and the glue that brings the families together. There's a clown. Jack Lemon. Casey's dad's dad. It's all about family, man. and falling apart. Tim Robbins is on the snout again. Does McDormand ever get dressed? Weird scene between Howard and Jack. Stowe's getting pissed. Nude. Mon Modine pops in. Manic laughs. <sighs> fish. There's loads of fish in this film. There's fish everywhere. Delayed shock. Is this about aftershock? Ooh, we'll see when the earthquake comes. Have I given the game away? Someone's rehearsing. Um, D.H. Daryl Hanning rehearsing. Looks like Jane Gum at the back and the phone. the phone rings Lyle's been on the lash all the musicians are fuckers in this film Tim Robbins is hamming the fuck out of this film Peter the flyboy breaks in and starts soaring Julia and Stowe get stoned a previously well concealed chainsaw comes out from Peter what's up with Lemon Andy's going to the phone did she notice Lovett's quoting poetry and then the story about Ola and Lemon. This is breaking my heart. Philanderers. This film's full of philanderers. Lemon, Robin, Stowe, Penn's wife, Downey Jr. They're all at it. Fish boy's home. Interlude from Brown and the fish man to have a shag. Stuart and Claire. There's a dead body. It's confession time. Body floating in the water. We fished, he says. Jean and Mad uh, Madeline reconcile in the old fort. In the old foot-to-cock routine. 
Dilly Daddy falls asleep on Mummy. That's a line that's fallen stayed with me for years. <laughs> it's, we're, we're now one hour 55 into this film. There is still an hour to go. Fuck it, I'm going to bed. I'll be back in the morning. We're back, part two, an hour to go. <laughs> Cleo can't stand the suspense. It's not Cleo Lane, I know this now. Robert Jr., Jr. Robert Downey Jr., etc., are into the jazz club. Um, it's all black people, says Penn. Earl's still at the bar. Tensions run high. Jerry's fucking done with this shit. Earl pushed. Andy's not seeing the rain. Casey's still a kipping. This is a film about shitty dads. Is it? Who knows? Claire the Clown, she's not happy. Clowns to Bakersfield. Huey's the dog owner. Ooh, so much mullet. I think Casey just wants a kip. He kicks the bucket. Casey, he kicky, he buckety. When life hands you lemons, he fucks off. <laughs> Modine is questioning art and love. Ralph and Marion argue about a kiss at a party. That fucker Mitchison. Uh, they're torturing themselves. Do you want to have a tit? Do you want to have a go at it? Do you want to build a rainbow? He didn't come in me. I'm going to light the barbecue. What a great line that is. It's okay. Susie made it back. Close up. Oh, jeopardy. That means something bad's about to happen. Well done, Robert. Uh, oh, yeah. Daryl Hannah, who's not Daryl Hannah, goes off to gas herself in the garage. Then a puff of smoke. Another nice big sign there, Bobby Altman. Pina Colada. Fuck the fish. More smoke for Daryl. Into smoke at the club. Love it, baby Robert. You're doing great work here. And he's on to the cake, man. Modine screams. That's a gif in waiting. Clear memory from the night from the nineties. I really remember Robert of oh, Matthew Modine doing that scream into the balloon. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Lyle's gonna get it, Mr. Bake Hour. I thought I'd misheard. <laughs> Bake Hour. Baker. I see what they've done. Attack of the loafs. Andy's face nearly moved. There's been a mix. Oh, it's an outrage. Bodies a go-go. Earl sausage people. Hula fingers. Don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> Francis is home with Chad. She loves a flyer by the looks of things. Bill and Jerry chatting up like a pair of chatting girls up like a pair of nonces. Jerry goes batshit and kills the girl. Earthquake! Mr. Bakehouse buns are fucked. <coughs> Ralph and Co are hitting the tequila. Pan out, we pan round. Life goes on. Very good. Got all that insanity and tension and craziness and it's not wrapped up i think it's but I, but i think it is you see i think essentially it's like you've got this got this bottle of fizzy pop waiting to explode with all this tension and the earthquake is it and it releases it and it's like back to calm but no be it gene gets or not gene jerry gets away with killing the girl because she's yeah, he's thought to be killed by falling rocks, and it's like there's two witnesses yeah. there. Bill, all right, slightly unreliable, but the girl's friend. How does she yeah. go and report that her mate's just been battered to death with a beer can? Yeah, it's well, and a rock. And a rock. he picks up a rock, then he? he picks up a rock and does it with a rock. Do you know who it is? Who he killed? Who is it? John Cusack's sister. That's not Sinead Cusack. No, Sinead. No, sorry, Who's no. Sinead Joan. Cusack? You mean Joan? You mean Joan Cusack? No, it's Susie Cusack, his younger sister. Oh wow! Who really became much of an actress. So, so uh, yeah. There are two very problematic things which you brought up. First one is 
this is LA and a lot of it is, is supposed to be set in the LA that we never see, meaning not Beverly Hills and not Hollywood. Downey, Downey is mentioned. So you're talking about Downey, Compton, Florence, Watts, Palms, uh, maybe bits of Venice, bits of Santa Monica. Where are the black people? Major problem. It's like, come on, mate. Never mind that. Where's all the fucking Mexican people? <laughs> it's like, it's a bit strange. The second problem is the girl's death at the end. The news footage comes in very quickly that there's been one death and it's been tied up in this thing. We don't know what's going to happen to Jerry after that. I imagine Jerry at some point puts a gun in his mouth and kills himself because he's on a road to nowhere mentally. Um, I, think, I think we didn't need the news report, really. We didn't need to hear the conclusion. Like, I think it was far better if you just left it. Yeah, it's interesting. Wondering I, yeah, that, what I, happened. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I think listening to Matt's internal monologue there, what I took from that is that he's right. There are a few parts, albeit it, I think it is a film by a master who's totally in charge of his craft. There are a few bits which are heavy-handed. The, the, the smoke stuff, um, the spilt milk, you know, it's like, it is a bit, you know what I mean? Bit. It's obvious in some ways, but... Mm. But, I, but I think the, the character studies are strong enough Absolutely. I mean, to, you're wrong. to I bypass that. It's a corking film, and I've not watched it as many times as you two, but I will. It's something I definitely watch again the only thing that i did think as i was watching it through i was and evidenced by watching it in two parts is fucking hell three hour films still do we need those should there be a law oh but but what's what <laughs> should there be a law um three hours eight minutes and uh but when i when i put it on last night i had i had no um because i thought i knew the film so well i thought i'll i'll, I'll watch a bit of it and like i put it on i couldn't turn it off and it it flew by it's one of them, you know. It's not like um, it's not like watching um, a Tarkovsky movie, for example. You know, someone that you can hugely appreciate, and and you know, you're witnessing something made by a master of their art. Yet a two-hour film by Tarkovsky can feel like four hours, right? No shit. Of course it does. You know, we we can yeah. we, we can pretend they just fly by. We appreciate the art, whatever. But what's so great about shortcuts and also Nashville is that they are this, you know, this this lengthy, lengthy piece. But it's the fact that it's an ensemble piece and it's a you know, essentially a sort of, uh, you know, this this soap opera, a soap opera made by someone who's a bit more highbrow. Actually a soap opera, isn't it, in some ways? And it, you were talking about this at the start, John, about you know, how this is slightly televisual or is a massive influence on the television that came later and you can see and i wonder like a shortcuts tv series would be probably fucking phenomenal mm, i'd uh, disagree or dreadful total self-indulgence and you'd watch two episodes and think well fuck was it I think, I think some of the 20 hours of this shit three three hours you can cope with and it and it's booking and it is bookended although there's everything's not wrapped up you're watching you're watching lives unraveling and it's it's just enough time to invest enough emotional interest in everyone i mean that's what's very clever about it it's the fact that there are so many characters yeah it's a massively long film but 
there's so many characters it doesn't feel like it because when i watched it this time it it definitely made me think a lot of magnolia mm-hmm. magnolia and shortcuts are not not that similar a film no they're, they're, they're structurally very different and and, and so forth. but there's, there's a certain dna that is the same and i think it's it's probably just the ensemble piece yeah and and, and so forth and and the fact that you're dipping into these different interweaving lines i hear you totally but i i, I think but, but shortcuts it shortcuts is the more real yeah, and I think the reason it's more real is it's made by an older man. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. made by, oh, sorry, older director. It's made by an older director. It's made of someone with just more wisdom, you know, which which life experience gives you. You know, Mag- Magnolia is made by, uh, so it's made by P.T. Anderson. At what age is he at that point? 30, maybe 35. Right, max. you know, that's like not, old, you know, without, without sounding you know, stupid or on the defense about it's like you're not old enough talk about that you know an expanse of living of different people you just you haven't got that you haven't you don't have that experience well altman at this point is perfect yeah the jack lemon character in anyone else's hands who hasn't got that life experience would be a waste of time to a degree hmm yeah and i mean i know paul thomas anderson and, and altman became very good friends later on in life and and um i think altman's last film they couldn't get the insurance to because they were worried he was going to die he was so old that paul thomas and anderson in order to get the film made said if he dies i'll step in and take over yeah that's so cool. so i i think there, there was a there was a definite synergy there in terms of he was very much in awe of altman and that's kind of oh awesome. for sure oh any more any more on shortcuts it's one of those films we could talk about we could talk about three hours easy just about that one yeah. film I think what's been nice on this episode, anyway, we've we've done three movies, which we've, for the first time, all, I'd say, all enjoyed. Absolutely, yeah. There's not a god amongst this lot. It's been a pleasure to do the research on it, isn't it? Um, it's been especially great for me to see Tremors and Shortcuts again. I've really enjoyed it, and I wanted to quickly talk about the opening of Shortcuts that with that ambient. Mark Isham soundtrack, which mixes into sort of that West Coast jazz, and the colours—you've got the green and reds on the on the spray wings of the choppers, and that flickering uh, typeface, and each credit in different colour. You just know you're in for something that's so colourful. Um, ironically, with no black people in it uh you're 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 in for something big and i i think shortcuts really delivers tremors really delivers big trouble in little china does everything it says on the tin and pretty much delivers um we have to work out where we go next on grand bag's funeral chain and who do we take from shortcuts who do you think I mean, if it's down to me i go annie mcdowell and sex lies a videotape but um and and peter gallagher see or we could do Chris Penn going to Reservoir Dogs or Churamance. We could go uh, Matthew Modine to Full Metal Jacket. That's nice. Uh, Matthew Modine's pretty much over. It's an overlooked character in this film, don't you think? I think he's really, really good. But um, really brilliant. Yeah. It's because so many of the characters aren't actually that likable, are they? 
No. And that's quite an interesting thing in itself. And he, I almost found like his character the most unlikable because he was hard to get into for a bit. But that's what makes it really smart. Well, he's he, he's he's Chris Penn's character, but with the intelligence of not to kill somebody. You know, he's he's going through the same pain, but he has the intelligence to deal with it and just take it out in his angst against his wife, who you know you imagine fell in love with because she was so alternative and such a great artist and now that's exactly what he despises about her mm. it's a tragedy you know um just as a suggestion for where to go if we are looking for someone to spin off um huey lewis <laughs> did play a helicopter pilot in sphere a film with dustin hoffman, <laughs> D- dustin hoffman. <laughs> samuel l jackson and i think once you've got Samuel L. Jackson in the mix, there's quite a way to go. You can go anywhere, can't you? Go anywhere. But to be fair, from shortcuts, we can go anywhere. So we'll, we'll put our heads together, work it out. Um, is there anything else you want to say, guys? Nah. <laughs> that's, that's a pretty resounding now. Nah, I want to go to bed. We've left it all on the pitch, I think. Okay. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed that. You two take care of yourself. And uh, people out there, thanks for listening. Join us next time on Grand Race Hero. I just heard a cat. Oh, fuck, you have to cut that out as well. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> cut that out. Oh. <laughs> that was a joke that didn't It matter. really didn't. I didn't even hear it. You cut out. Say it again. No, it's not funny. Just move on. Walk away. <laughs> okay. You've got a lot of editing to do, John. <laughs> Sorry, mate. <laughs>